0: Welcome back to the second episode of the Hybrid Canine Podcast. We're here on TikTok Live right now with 62 current viewers. I'm very excited about this because the TikTok audience has been extremely awesome to engage with, really cool community, and it's taken a little bit of time to learn how to become a, a quote-unquote TikToker. It's definitely a different game. The uh, The content is really, really fun though because I feel like it's just... Um, it's like the 2022 version of like chain emails, right? Like someone starts a funny video trend and then you just spin it into the context of your own industry or whatever it is that you talk about. So um, I've really enjoyed making TikTok, but I find myself being really good at making TikToks on some days and then just totally sucking at making them on others. So with that being said, uh, we've got some questions coming in now on TikTok. And the first one is going to be from Cecilia Cowher, I believe. She asks, is it possible to have two dominant male dogs live in harmony? Well, I think anything's really possible, right? I mean, that's the the short answer is yes, right? Now, I think the more realistic answer to that question is, is having two dominant male dogs living in harmony practical for you based on your level of dog ownership experience and Uh, your current lifestyle. And I think sometimes we have to take a hard look at our lifestyle, right? And we have to make the best decision for the dogs that are in our care. Um, When you have two dominant male dogs, you have to be very very uptight on your management skills, right? It means that you have to put a lot of diligence into um, being a very educated dog owner. You have to understand dog behavior. You're going to have to likely manage your dog's behavior far more than you would if you had more docile animals in your care. Uh, When you have two dominant male dogs, you just run the risks of having more potential uh, negative circumstances occur, right? Um, And so you have to, once again, look at the lifestyle that you're living in, ask yourself, hey, am I really prepared and equipped to, uh, one, physically manage these dogs if something negative happens? And two, is am I in a place where I can you know, really give this the attention and management that they need to live safely together, right? Because the unfortunate thing about dogs, and especially depending on the size of these dogs and the breed of these dogs and the level of drive they have, you know, one bad circumstance could be really drastic and could be really life-changing, right? We've we've all seen at times um, different articles and news outlets that will post videos of really bad circumstances that happen with dogs. And the sad reality is that um, this oftentimes happens because the dog's are not having the level of attention put on them to, uh, you know, uh, prevent bad situations from happening, right? And I'd say for the average dog owner that doesn't have a ton of experience with uh, working breeds and high drive dogs, um, it can be oftentimes very difficult and challenging to even be aware of some of the preliminary signs of a bad circumstance beginning to occur. So Uh, is it possible? Absolutely. Is it possible for them to live in harmony? Um, But it's going to take a lot of management, right? And it's going to take a lot of TLC and really, really hardcore attention on on your dogs. And so those are just the things that I would say for anyone that is currently living with two dominant dogs to be aware of and to, you know, really ask yourself, am I setting these dogs up for success, right? Because a negative situation could potentially cost them their life um, and you know, no one wants to, no one wants that, of course. And of course we don't want to create a liability for ourselves and or any other people. Here's a statement that was made. That's a little bit concerning. So, uh, from Lauren and uh, Lauren, I hope you're still in here to hear this answer, but she says my dog growled at my 10 month, uh, my dog growled at my 10 month old this morning. Um, that's really concerning, right? Um, you know, we do not want that situation to happen at all. Never have your baby, your infant near your dog. I know a lot of people on social media will make posts about this and will um you know brag almost about how good their dog is with their baby or their infant and take pictures with them laying on one another. It just never needs to happen, right um, at the end of the day, as much as dogs are a part of our family, they are animals, and especially to the untrained eye, there can be a lot of signs that might even come off as endearing that could end to, uh, could result in your infant being severely harmed. Um, at that point, you're for sure going to be rehoming your dog. Uh, your dog's life is up in the air and uh, potentially your infant's life is up in the air. So I would highly suggest keeping them very separate, never allowing uh, your dog to free roam when your infant is around and out, um, and especially not without you having attention on them, right? Um, I would have your dog tethered. I would work with a professional trainer near you to uh, come into your home and help you work on that issue and really discern, you know, if there is some resource guarding or if there's another issue going on, because that's certainly nothing that you ever want to be dealing with. And um, especially when it comes to an infant, um, a very fragile human being, you just can't run that risk. Um, and that's, that's the very straightforward truth about that answer is you, you can never allow those situations to occur and a risk that just doesn't need to happen. Chunks 1985 asks, what's your advice around dogs who bark at people walking past its house? Is it being territorial? Um, there are a few reasons why dogs bark at people walking past the house. A lot of times it starts as nervousness. It starts as perhaps fearfulness. Um, but what can happen, right, is that barking can become a self-reinforcing behavior, meaning the satisfaction of barking can become reinforcing and it, inc- it encourages the dog to do more of it. It's not necessarily a territorial thing but it can actually become sport, right? The dog can just enjoy it and it becomes used to being able to bark at people outside. And so it's just an activity that it participates in. Uh, It's something that perhaps provides it some level of fulfillment. And so you know, when your dog has free access to the windows of the house and can bark at people, it's likely going to continue to do that. It's certainly not necessarily a behavior that you want to just allow to perpetuate because the longer that it is allowed to perpetuate, the more and more likely your dog is to continue barking at people walking past the house. And at a certain point in time, if it's not a nuisance now, it will certainly become more of a nuisance and something that um, you certainly probably don't want to continue for you know the rest of your dog's life. So how can you potentially fix this, right? Well, you can uh, start to desensitize your dog to people walking past the house. You can limit access to this part of the house so that your dog just simply cannot be at the windows ready to bark at people. One of the ways you can do that if you don't want to set up some kind of barrier is that you can just keep your dog on a leash in the house and um, teach them that it is not appropriate to bark at people, right? And so in order to do that, you would need to have a deeper understanding of operant conditioning and how to apply the right quadrants of operant conditioning to uh, help your dog unlearn that behavior and remove it from its arsenal of behaviors, if you will. Um, But those would be the, the short advice on how to uh, get your dog to stop barking at people uh, that are walking past the house. Just know that the longer that it continues, the more and more likely it is to happen and the um, <laughs> the harder it will be to correct, right? Cecilia asks, do you personally prefer any specific breed? Um, for me, I really enjoy uh, a lot of working breeds. And that's probably because as a trainer, I enjoy dogs that have a lot of drive. Um, personally. I really love the Dutch Shepherd. It's probably my favorite dog to work with. The Dutch Shepherd reminds me of like a wide receiver perhaps in like the NFL in the sense that they're just amazingly athletic dogs. They are, um, a lot of other trainers really like Malinois a lot of times because the Malinois breed is real, you know, buff looking, I guess is the short way to say it. Like they're just stacked muscularly. They bark. They're like really, really strong dogs. Um, And they, you know, are great at a lot of the the bite sports. The thing that I like about the Dutch Shepherds is they just, to me, seem so nimble and agile. And there's something about them that just has this um, primal energy that just excites me. And I love the snappiness of them. So for me, I really love working with Dutch Shepherds. Um, I also have a really soft spot for huskies. My first dog, Aurora, was a Siberian husky. And you know the first few years of her life when before I had really learned about training i you know she was unruly she was the typical husky that if she got out of the house oh man it was she was gone um but what something that was really special about aurora is that as she became trained she was this she would just totally turn heads she could be off leash she could do all these cool tricks um and it really Uh, was exciting for other people to see. So, you know, we had this really cool relationship where I was, I was so proud of her. And every time we'd be out, you know, it would really change people's opinions of what Huskies were capable of. So I've definitely got a soft spot for Huskies. And as far as if I were going to have a working breed, I'd probably pick a Dutch Shepherd because of those qualities that I talked about and just being so agile and athletic. And, um, you know, for me that it just feels like, uh, feels like the perfect dog for my personality. So Definitely the Dutch Shepherd. Trunks 1985 followed up with their question. Said he barks a lot and we'll tell him to stop, but he keeps going. Um, I thought it came down to my dog's breed, which is a mixed Sharpay and Labrador. Sharpays were guard dogs. Um, so this kind of goes back to what I was just saying with Aurora being a Siberian husky. You know, a lot of times we have these limiting beliefs around our breed and what they're capable of or what they're likely to do, or this or that. And the reality is that any dog can be trained, right? I think the gap for a lot of owners is not necessarily having a framework of how to teach your dog new things right and sometimes inadvertently doing the wrong thing, so for example, you're talking about your dog barks a lot, we tell him to stop, but he keeps going well, here's why he keeps going right is that you have no way to hold him accountable, right and so what's actually happening is that when you are acknowledging him and telling him to stop, he might be barking because he's trying to get attention he wants um you know he's learned that his barking has the power to alter the behavior of other animals around him, whether that's him barking at someone and then moving away because they're kind of turned off by his barking or whether it's you as an owner acknowledging him uh, and it's reinforcing his behavior, right? And so just because he stops barking for a moment, it might be because he got what he wants, right? And then it's like we said, reinforcing. So he's actually more likely to then continue doing it because he just got what he wanted, right? He either moved someone away from what, you know, from being close to the house uh, or you know, he got the attention from from you or whomever else is in your house. And so he's more likely to do it, right? So um, a lot of times we don't want it to be inadvertently reinforcing these behaviors, right? And so the other thing that's also happening there is that every time you tell him to stop, but it doesn't actually mean anything, it just loses value. The word loses value. Your dog doesn't necessarily understand English. Your dog doesn't know what the word stop means, right? If anything, your dog might understand the tone of your voice, but Until we assign meaning to a word, until we assign meaning and have value to the word, it really doesn't mean anything. Uh, Land and Trees ask, what do you think about Ridgebacks? I don't have a lot of experience with Ridgebacks, to be honest. I think what's important about any dog um, is that all dogs are great, right? There's no such thing as a bad dog or, you know, a breed that isn't great or anything like that. You know, just like we all have preferences, um, you know, we all have uh, about all kinds of things. We all have different preferences when it comes to dogs. Some people might really dislike shedding. And so they'd never have a Husky or perhaps a a Dutch Shepherd, right? But for me, it's no problem. Um, So with Ridgebacks and really any other breed, right, it's important to just really do some research and diligence on the origins of that breed. And um, I think a lot of times we have a tendency as those people, especially first-time owners or more naive uh, dog owners. Will get dogs because the way, that they, the way that they look or, you know, other qualities that don't really help them make the best decision on if that breed is great for them, right? I think it's really important to do research on the breed that you're interested in beyond just the aesthetics and the looks and, you know, what that dog will mean about you um, and really pick a dog and the do- a dog breed that is going to be conducive for your lifestyle, right? Do you like hiking? Do you like going to the beach? Are you more of a sedentary person that hangs out inside? You know all of these different things about your life will likely dictate the the best dog breed for you. and when you do these research on these dogs, you're able to see their lineage and their origins, and you'll likely find information about why they were even bred in the first place, and you'll get a lot of insight into the certain things that they might need biologically to really help them have a long and successful life. right? A lot of times people will come to me with uh, various behaviors their dogs are expressing and the solution is usually something very simple like doing like understanding what that dog was bred for and then giving them an outlet to actually um you know participate in that type of um in that type of thing right and so um for some dogs that's you know doing something like barn hunt or agility right for other dogs uh, like the malinois and dutchies it's good to get them into a bite sport right or something where they can really get that fix that they biologically crave um so that's just Some of the things um, to consider when it comes down to any dog breed, uh, if that's something that you're interested in, um, if you're interested in getting a dog, right, is just to do some research and some diligence on the breed that you're interested in and make sure that it's the right choice for you and your lifestyle and your lifestyle goals. Cecilia asks, do you think prong collars are effective? I think prong collars are extremely effective. In my opinion, prong collars are one of the most effective tools, if not the most effective tool, especially when it comes to teaching dogs to loose leash walk. I don't think every dog needs a prong collar. It depends on the dog's level of drive and other qualities of the dog's personality. But the reason that prong collars are really beneficial is because they distribute all of that pressure around the dog's neck evenly. And so it's a very communicative tool that if used correctly, can be far more effective than other uh, tools when it comes to teaching the walk or teaching leash pressure and giving that physical guidance. Now, like I was mentioning earlier, dogs learn a little bit differently than us humans, right? I'm talking to all of you right now, and hopefully the words that I'm saying are making sense. Um, but dogs learn a little differently, right? They learn physically first, so a lot of times teaching the dog what we want physically by using the leash and leash pressure is the fastest way to create an association for them um, that we can then layer a word on top of like I' had mentioned in the earlier question. And so in this situation, right, uh, when it comes to the prong collar, because we're not only using leash pressure, but because that pressure is then being distributed around the neck evenly, we can use very light pressure to uh, very precisely guide the dog into the position that we want. And this can help them to really create that association faster than if we are using even a slip lead or a flat collar or a tool where all that pressure is going into one particular point in the neck because of its design. And so although the prong collars look a little barbaric, and I wish there was a, maybe an updated design of somehow that achieved the same result, but just looked nicer, um, the prong collar is a very effective tool when used correctly. Now, what I'll say is that a lot of times um, the everyday owner has a hard time really using the tool correctly because it, just like anything that we're getting used to, whether it's a trackpad on our laptop or picking up an iPad for the first time, um, sometimes we know what we want to do, but we haven't had a lot of practice with the peripheral or the thing that we need to use to accomplish it. And so there's a disconnect between what we want to happen and what we know is possible and then our actual ability to make that happen. And so sometimes prong callers um, can be best conditioned with the help of a trainer that can work with you hands on or even through a virtual session. Um, but I do think that they're very effective tools. And if done if used correctly, it's just that. It's something that you ideally don't have to rely on, but more so Can use intermittently in the learning stage that your dog can then have a very good understanding of and then generalize that expectation to other aspects of their life. If you're in the Raleigh area, we'd love to train with you and your dog. You can find out more information about the training that we offer at hybridcanine.com. We also have some merch available on the shop there or in the bio, either on Instagram, TikTok, wherever have you, or you can find it through the site. Uh, we also offer virtual training sessions, so if you want to have a more detailed conversation about how to make progress with your dog, uh, we can hop on a Zoom call or a phone call and talk in detail and really understand the nuances and the circumstances of what you are dealing with with your dog and help you make some progress there. And uh, beyond that, appreciate everyone listening in. This will be a little bit of a shorter episode, and uh, we'll be back soon. So thanks again for listening. If you've made it this far, please drop a review down in the review section, either on Spotify or Apple podcasts. It really helps out and helps the podcast get shared with other dog owners that could benefit from all the great questions that all of you have asked here today. So please leave a review and we will be back soon.